The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material and a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. And I'm Alicia. And this is episode number 253. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about failure. <laughs> it's a fun topic. <laughs> we're talking about failure? Fuck yeah. I just rolled a double one. Because it sounds, you know, resolute and depressing. But... What I'd really like to discuss a little bit is the role that it plays in the, the, the RPG experience and how important that role is, what it, what it means and whether or not it should be mitigated or should be explored somewhat. So it's kind of an esoteric question, but I think I've got a good group of personages here, you know, that to kind of broach it with. Real quick, I want to remind you, if you'd like to uh, be part of the show at any point, feel free to drop us a line and put this at the beginning of the show for a change. Prismatic Tsunami, uh, feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Can you say it right? right. It's my job to mess up that address. I know. I I appreciate that. I do. Uh, Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Or, of course, join us on our Discord server. Link is in the show notes. Drop in and uh, talk at us. We appreciate you. We want to hear you talk at us. We do. Well, not talk at us. Talk with us. I'm fine with either. It depends on how fast <laughs> I am to respond. So, Fair uh, how's everybody doing this week? I, I, we're actually doing a weekly show thing. Wow! I don't want to <laughs> jinx it. Yeah, and and part of the clue, part of the the, let me see how 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 to put this in a very PC way. It is a design a design philosophy, not a failure on our part, to have shorter programs, which allow us to do more of them. Yeah. How's that? That's that's kind of a blind of bullshit. Very, very. We good just try. don't ever have enough time nowadays, so we just kind of squeeze yeah. in when we can. But the nice thing is that it allows me to get the show, uh, you know, printed and done sooner because I don't have as much time in editing. Also, the nice thing is we have Richard in the studio. I know. On the other hand, I touch you, but it's finally over after a year and a half. I'm so happy. I'd be able to touch you if the mic wasn't in the way. Yeah, it's a, it's a post COVID world. No, it isn't. No, but it's it not. is uh, it is a little closer to post COVID for us. It's, it's a vaccinated world. Yeah, <laughs> our little world is a vaccinated world. Our world is a vaccinated world. Uh, I saw Jesse said something about you know vaccinated people game at my house. It's like, <laughs> it's like there you go. That's it's it, we're getting to that point again. Finally, I did that for a baby shower recently. I was like, we're going to do a blended event. If you are not vaccinated, please join us for the live event on Facebook. If you are vaccinated, feel free to join us in person. There will be cake. cupcakes. <laughs> nice. If you really want the cupcakes, here's where you, you go get to get vaccinated. your vaccine. <laughs> right? You see Ohio? Links here. That if you get vaccinated, you get entered into a lotto to win like a million dollars? Something like that. Where's yeah, my million bucks, damn it? I thought that was a brilliant <laughs> idea. <laughs> we live in Kansas. Right. <laughs> you know how many people I, I know in Kansas who are owed so much money by the government here? I, I believe it? you. Oh, I figured we were in Kansas. They just don't believe in this whole Rona thing. <laughs> There's that too. That too. It's it's very divided. You know, it's it's funny. I, I I strive really hard, and this isn't censure. I strive really hard to um, stay away from politics on the show because I never want my personal politics to influence my relationship with our fans, my relationship with people that come to my conventions. Right. We're all in this hobby together, whatever our proclivities. So it's, it's something I tend to stay away from. I tend to stay away from on social media. The the coronavirus has made it really hard to stop, to not talk about. For me, it's always been more of a peace of mind issue since I work with non-human primates that can contract the virus. Yeah. yeah. And they can't 
like there is an experimental vaccine out there that we can get for them, but it's it's still being debated pretty heavily within the I, zoo community. Yeah, I might cut this com this part of the conversation out because sorry, like, nah, you fine. <laughs> it went a little far because I got a little uh, yeah. I got a little flack for like talking about needles for you know thirty minutes last time. Well, but, I have a small fear of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I got the flack from Richard, by the way. Give <laughs> my shot was enough. It was, uh, hey, I listened to a show. No, that was me and Jonica alone. You actually listened to the show last night? Yeah, Jonica was on the show. Hello. Ah, uh, okay. That's worth it. Absolutely worth it. Did you leave in the part where we're like, it's fine, Richard won't listen to this because well, he's not on it? Did we say that? So funny. I, I, yeah. We did. Yeah. It's so funny, though, because there was a, a thing we were sitting here talking about. Um, I ran, a, I, I did a little scenario and somebody asked where we were going to be stationed in this game. And I said, well, it could be anywhere. Where do you like it to be? And then I said, would you like there to be clouds? And, and of course, Jason laughed and Eric laughed and, and Vanessa laughed. The clouds laughed. I did it was not hilarious. realize that before, before the last podcast was recorded, Vanessa didn't know that story. Ah, so, so last week when Jonica was sitting here relating the whole thing to you guys. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard it before either. That was good. Which is it's funny because you used to listen to the show. Yeah, I, I listened to the show, but I started. You have started, to go ways back yeah, to find that shit, yeah. I only started, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, wait, there was a year of Rona. So probably like three years ago. So how, how do you feel yeah. about your game experiment so far? It's doing good. <laughs> doing I noticed you've been formalizing your process a little bit. Yeah. Discord. I've got things together. I've got a private Discord group and going to plan on doing some more testing around with it. Well, he's put together a nice little booklet. Got a, a, some pretty comprehensive ideas in it. My problem is I'm not a good storyteller. I, I get too hung up in things and I overthink everything. So causes a lot of stops in the action. You made the comment that um, ideally you could create game a game system and have other people run it. <laughs> if I could get someone invested in the system who wants to run with it and do the creativity part or do the running part, that would end up making it really kick off. But, you know, it is what it is. You do some collaboration, huh? But right now we already learned what in our first little session we already learned that you know you gotta we gotta re-edit the math quite a bit and we that's the point of, and we're get where it's the point of play again. testing yeah it's the point of play exactly yeah. I I thought that was fun I mean we didn't get to do much because we just didn't have a lot of time last week we were messing with it but we sat down and went over character creation and spent a chunk of time on that to understand where you were <laughs> to coming understand from. the world now you guys understand the system better so um, I'm looking forward to being able to talk about it more when we have a little more experience with it kind of get into the nuts and bolts a little bit on the show if you want to just just to see where the line is yeah, you know because I don't want to get boring it should be interesting it was really weird having a coworker go hey yeah that game sounded really interesting and I'm like wait you listen what hi <laughs> be like, I'm so sorry <laughs> I, I have a coming up on Tuesday. I get to try to drag a coworker into the world of tabletop role playing. Oh yeah. I I've been tasked to write a one hour one shot to introduce tabletop role playing to a person. Okay. So, Lunch hour. Yeah. To, okay. Tuesday is the last day of school. Sure. And all the schools get out early. So we have a between an hour and an hour and a half that we're back at the lot. So it's not enough time to go or anywhere or do anything. And I have the kind of group that I hang out with. It's three people who regularly game. I play games with them all. And then one person who has never played any role-playing game ever. <laughs> and we've been trying for years to get her to try it. And somehow we got her convinced that right then during that hour, hour and a half, 
We're going to run a That's one little scenario because we're all standing around at the lot. Do you have a plan yet? I have a basic plan. I need to formalize the actual writing of everything tomorrow. An hour would be tough. It feels like you'd have to actually work out a little harder Yeah, I've, to prep for it. I've definitely been struggling trying to make sure I can give you, a good representation yeah, of D&D. Because you want to introduce certain concepts and processes, but you don't want to dwell on them, right? Right. Because you want to give them kind of a nice little snapshot. It can't it can't be a comprehensive picture. Not yeah, no. I mean, you'd have to start with the stakes and the expose to start with because there's no way you're going to build into the stakes <laughs> and start from that. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm yesterday making... you left the village of Altwell on the way to the Goblin Caverns. You fought your way through the Goblin Caverns, the caverns to the final room. You've been beaten up by the boss a couple times. At, no, yeah, <laughs> not, right. that, not quite that much. Huh? And now yeah. we start the final battle. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, we should get halfway through it. I'm definitely <laughs> making. I'm definitely it's making character edition. sheets beforehand. <laughs> right. So yeah, I'm definitely going to have character sheets already ready because right. that would be an hour right there, just trying to te- show someone how to make a character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm hoping <laughs> for like one short social encounter and then a fight, and that's about an hour. Cool. That's murder hobos. You can have both. Yeah. Sounds like it might be fun. I'm hoping. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna do a just a good old bar brawl because you never know what you're getting into, right? Yeah. Because you can never go wrong with hey, you guys are all in a bar and then a fight breaks out. Jonica decides she wants to run a game. She's uh she's been looking at some of the books picked like a module up off the shelf. I mentioned it to Joe. Yeah. Yeah. She's looking to do like a. um, she wanted to do an afternoon thing, so I was like, I, I think when she asked if if I if I knew anybody outside of our household that'd be available in the afternoon, I mentioned you because you have a couple afternoons off a week. My weekends have been so busy. Your weekend is in the middle of the week weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I get you. Uh, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely, this is part of that. Um, I I'm excited to see her try something. But even then, she's given it her own. And, and it's not like she hasn't run games before, but she just hasn't run D&D. She has, certainly hasn't run 5th edition D&D. And um, that's what she wants to do. And she wanted to start with the module because she not because she wanted for something where the work's done for her, but she, she wants to learn from the experience, from the process. And that includes taking somebody else's ideas and figuring out how to express and interpret them, explore them. But then she's also Jonica, so she's planning to give the whole thing a completely different twist, uh, culturally, like we're playing like an Asian, role, you know, style game. So, I mean, I wrote up a paladin, but he's actually a samurai, for example. So I, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, she's, she's a really good game master. She she brings a lot uh, to the table from behind the screen. Her, her biggest failings usually turn out to be in her uh, lack of confidence in herself when it comes to the rules and things like that. And all she's run with us before has been Savage Worlds. She, she did fine. That's why I do rules light. You're making I don't me have to fuss with the rules. wish that I had agreed to play now because my brain just went geisha bard. Yeah. Well, she won't be able to start until next week anyway, the earliest. <laughs> Give us some thought. Talk that to does her. sound like she's got some time. I mean, because I don't think it'll be a big chunk of time either. Probably just a couple hours in an afternoon or something. Mm. Plus, if you agree to play, we could probably do it at your place and save us the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. How save many, the trouble of cleaning. How many Asian inspired minis do you have? I don't think you'll find Jonica cares. Minis right. aren't necessarily a big part of her game. But I love my minis. Yeah, but if you're at their house, the minis are already there. Did and you? Did she tell you what? Drawers. Did she tell you what adventure she was thinking of, though? I think you did, but I can't recall what it was exactly now. I think she's looking at Baldur's Gate, which is, I mean, I think that, Davernus, that was know. the other yeah. reason I said because you already because, know it. Yeah, yeah. She worried about that with me too. Is like I, I don't ever have a problem playing something I already know. <laughs> One, it's not hard to just to separate that and have fun with it. Two, it's like I, 
the interpretations of it's going to be different. The experience yeah. of it, the story's going to be different. I usually do okay, but I will catch myself on a rare occasion where I'm like, I don't know that. I'm just going to take a step yeah. back and shut my pie hole. Well, that came <laughs> up last night at our game. Is we have a character, an NPC that's been traveling yeah. with us, who is a were tiger, right? She's a rakshasa. But yeah, suddenly they've she, been assuming she's a druid. This we and suddenly she kind of changed forms. And Alicia starts explaining to her, and I'm like, like out of game right away. I knew it was a Rakshasa, but my character had no idea what that is. So right. I had to remember. It's like, oh, I don't know. This is just some big tiger lady whose hands are backwards, which is weird. It, yeah, it is. But there you go. Rakshasa but it's even more interesting because one of the uh, PCs has developed a romantic relationship with her. Interesting. Yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, one of the other reasons it doesn't usually cause me a problem, I think, is because um, in, in more traditional gaming settings, particularly when I was younger, there's almost a competitive kind of level of integration between players and other players, between players and the game master, between players in the game, that makes it so that anything you can get one up on, get a leg up on, feels like it's something you shouldn't pass up. So when it's like, oh, I know this material, this published adventure, I know there's goodies down that hallway, you know, can I really decide in character not to explore that, whatever, is that appropriate? Or if I if I make that decision, am I overcorrecting? You know, would my character not go ahead and explore that, you know, things like that. Which can all be, you know, miles of fun to fucking deal with in your head. <laughs> right. But the uh, the thing I think is interesting is that when you kind of step away from that and your game is is more about the story, the narrative, the the flavor, the, the story you're telling together rather than, you know, me coming up with something that person doesn't or that person doing something cool that I would never, I want to be able to enjoy everybody's story. That I don't necessarily think that's as big an, an issue for me because knowing the material doesn't influence how I play the character because my players, my character is there for the story that my character is a part of. And it just isn't a problem. On, a, on the con, um, mm-hmm. I apparently played a game that I had ran before, I think under you. And one of the people I ran with was the person running this game. Apparently, I played the same character. I just didn't remember it. And I played it completely differently. So it was like a, ser- a scenario that I had run that had like a pre-gens or something? Yeah, it was that essence. Yeah, same way. Oh, oh, you mean recently? Yeah, the one that, that Vanessa was, ran. The one Vanessa ran. And apparently, I played the same character I played That's when funny. you ran it. I didn't hilarious. remember it. I didn't even remember the plot until it was over. Because it was, you know, we, we the characters all played differently, and apparently I played the char- same character, but I played it completely differently because that's what you do. Dig it. I, I don't think that's, that's so much an issue most of the time. And, and, I mean, it is weird, of course, because we deal with a lot of, uh, whether it's a, pre- a published thing, like a module or, um, you know, one of the hardbacks from Watsi or one of these, like, one-shot adventures that are published on DMs Girl, Guild or, or wherever you get your stuff. You know, other systems, obviously, one-shots for Savage Worlds. Whether it's something like that, or it's something you create a scenario for a convention and want to be able to run it again and again at different conventions with different groups, maybe get different results. I mean, I've done that a little bit. I used to be very opposed to that. I would write up a scenario, even though I went through all the trouble of freaking writing up a scenario, and I get to the event and I'd run it and I'd be like, okay, that's that story. Got to come up with something new for the next event. And it wasn't long before I didn't always want to come up with something new for that, but I still wanted to play it. Right. You know, and I once I realized that that was okay. And the, the nice thing is that that adds that kind of shared lexicon too. Because then I get to talk to people who they've been through that adventure, they've been through that adventure, they, and then they'll have comparisons about yep. you know what happened when they were in it. I have a one-shot that I wrote up for a game day, but I ended up running it, I think, three or four times now. And every time, 
it feels like a completely different story and game, even though it's the same material. And that's not even to say anything of like your Zelda thing that's been so popular. Yeah, I've ran that twice now, and both those games were also very different from each other. You ran the the uh, zoo one a couple times. The chimps one? Yeah. Yeah, Chimp Escape. And had a very different... It always turns out different. But that's one. That's a good example of one that's very sandboxy, though, right? I mean, you're basically just presenting a problem, and then everybody just kind of goes about it however they want yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, we're using the D&D rule set as kind of a basic framework, but right. it's pretty sandboxy. I wonder what would be a better system for running Oh, good Lord, stuff. again. <laughs> Are you savage worlding me or fading me? Uh, actually, I was going to go with the, uh, oh, like quags. I haven't done quags at all. I think my fans know where I fall on that line. I mean, savage for savage you, obviously. Because you are. A beast. I think it was Todd. Todd yeah. tracked me on. He's like, you know, fate would be much better for that. <laughs> like, Everyone has. Thank their you. System. You're the third person today to suggest a different system other than D and D. There's uh, that's legit. I know D and D, and, and that's, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. that's important. And um, I hadn't really, I hadn't really explored. I mean, this is kind of like old hat. It's nothing to, to to you know most of our listeners. I'm sure, right. especially anybody that goes to events and conventions mm-hmm. and stuff. But I mean. Like, like when I started, when I first connected with Sean and Eli, that was what they did. They took systems that they knew well. And in their cases, they were mostly using older systems. They loved themselves the three, you know, third edition 305 D&D. Uh, but the D20 kind of era had taught us that you could take that framework of rules and play anything. You just might have to put different classes in there or something. You might have to come up with mm-hmm. other yeah, things. That reskin worked. what's in there. Very much. And they did the same thing. They also liked universal systems like GURPS. Um, the World of Darkness is made for, like, the vampire and the mage and the werewolf and stuff like that. But you can take that core, you know, world, of, especially the new World of Darkness stuff, and use that as a basis to run anything. I mean, it's literally an open genre game at that they point. It's just a rule set. Scooby-Doo one, right? Yeah, yeah. And and that's, I mean, that's amazing. I, I, I When I saw, and that was the one that got me, was when they started doing stuff where they would run the same scenario in different systems. It's like, oh, I'm going to run that again, but this time I'm going to use... Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they like that basic role-playing burp. I uh, <laughs> do not much like that system. So you, you think burp? the Call of Cthulhu game, but you BRP. run it in the My Little Pony system. Yeah, I, that's supposed to be the other way around. My Little Pony Anyway, Uh <laughs> It's all good, though. I mean, oh, and your pony has lost all of its sanity. Kill everyone. And until I got into <laughs> Savage, I never got to the... I, I was never really a huge fan of generic systems. I liked games that had a lot of thematic trappings built around the system, you know. And Savage Worlds was the first system where I kind of fell in love with it as a general nuts and bolts system that allowed me to do anything with it. And since then, I mean, I've, I've run fake games. Excuse me. I've explored all kinds of other game systems that are simple and fun to play with that you can do anything. Gumshoe yeah. is, well, is one I really love. Again, it's a good example. Gumshoe does investigative stuff well. That's really what it's made for. It does investigative stuff. But investigative holds a lot of sins. You can do freaking anything with an investigative platform and, and make it fun. I mean, you can make that any genre. You can set it in any kind of world and you just make it about being an investigator investigative scenario rather than being, you know, hitting the monster on the head and grabbing its, you know, orchid pie, grabbing, yeah. grabbing its loot. But, you know, I nothing wrong with that. I, I think it's been fantastic. I've loved seeing it and I love seeing what everybody comes up with. And I like doing it. I just don't have the time. I know the one I'm looking forward to is I know you're planning, as far as I know, you're still planning at the next in-person con mm-hmm. to run a three-part game based around kind of the chimp escape. Like uh, three oh, different scenarios? It's going to be Planet of the Ape style. I want to do a chimp one again mm-hmm. and then an orangutan one. And then the third one is going to be a combination 
set in a dystopian future like Planet of the Apes where they can continue on with their same characters if they so choose, but it's all set in Wichita. Nice. So you can be like on a half-collapsed Keeper of the Plains swinging around. I love it. I love it. It's awesome. But like more intelligence, all that kind of so crazy town. Burn yourself out on doing the same kinds of stuff over and over again. I mean, I imagine it's oh, no, really easy I, to prep. It's fun for me too because because it's I'm I'm building the characters around animals that I know. Right. It's interesting to see how people interpret the things that I have put on paper right. about them. Give give you an idea, let's see where yeah. you go with it. Mm-hmm. And you'll always get something different, obviously. Oh yeah. Like uh, one character wound up in the restaurant just drinking all the soda out of the machine, like pushing all the taps and just like hanging out underneath it. Because I put on there that their favorite food was drinks. <laughs> like they love drinks. So they broke into the restaurant and just gorged themselves and passed out on soda. Nice. And the day after you run the scenario, you double check all the fences just to be <laughs> right. sure. You know, uh, all that fire hose, that was one of the possible things has been repaired. My boss and I repropped the entire exhibit. <laughs> cool. <laughs> just, just a little thing in my head I need to take care of. It's okay. You know, it it's doesn't fine. mean anything. Oh, no. We'd been talking about it for forever because the fire hose had been starting to fray and it just kept getting worse. And finally, we're like, yeah, it needs to come down. That's a problem. I like that she's <laughs> offered to run that scenario for her coworkers, but for some reason, they don't think it would be a fun game to play. No, I don't think it would either. <laughs> they don't think it's funny at all. I wouldn't imagine. Although my partner has said, okay, but only if I get to be Sukari. There you go. Because she's I her favorite. Sukari. Draw Sukari is next to Chucky. The two of them are pretty much on par for smartest chimp. Well, but the girls are also where the drama lives now. So, you know, welcome. Right. Well, I, uh, I've actually experimented a little bit. I have like a, a horror scenario. Horror scenario. Mm-hmm. Oh, yelling at me for that again. Um, I can enunciate. Uh, <laughs> Words are hard. Yeah. A, a horror scenario in which uh, I, I'm running an investigative Victorian thing. But it was a game I came up with adventure stuff for for uh, Jonica and Nira a few years ago. And we had run a, like a session that was like them and one of our other friends. And then uh, a little bit later, we ran another adventure with them and another one of our friends who played yet a different character. And out of that, I got their two characters and the two ancillary characters. So when I decided to make a convention game out of it, I I formatted, you know, tightened the format a little bit so that I knew I could do it in a four-hour session and then wrote versions of those four characters up. So I've gotten to see players at other conventions. And mostly I did this, like, not at our convention. I don't, I don't get to run games at our convention. Most, I, I, you I act actually, like you're busy or something. <laughs> occasionally, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get to do anything. <laughs> I don't get to breathe much. I get to sit around and hurt a lot. I seem to injure myself every single con. I'm looking forward to the day when that doesn't happen. That's his excuse. To, that's his excuse to be able to sit for a little bit. Words are this hard. Joe. Next year, yeah, we're are. going to have to put in an electric wheelchair <laughs> as part of the uh, expenses. I don't think I can expense that. I would try, though. To be honest, <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily be off the books. You know, just Eric just cruising around a little rascal scooter. Out of the question. <laughs> um, I really um, enjoyed seeing other people play like Jonica's and Nira's characters for that and seeing their interpretation again, based on the information. Mm-hmm. Cause I wrote down things that a couple of paragraphs of description and background stuff that was relevant to those characters based on how they developed, how they developed by those players. So these weren't even characters I came up with 
And that made it fun for me. So that was kind of cool. So if you're ever looking for something to try different at a convention or an event, that, that's a fun one. I, I definitely encourage you to give a shot. But And Investigative Center is always kind of out there anyway because, you know, sometimes they can move really fast and sometimes they can, oh, so you guys didn't actually want to accomplish anything this session, did you? Yes. You're still talking to the beggar in the first scene. Yeah, he knows nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. Well, we no. have to look inside every drawer. Okay. In every Change the whole scenario. It turns out that person's the bad guy. <laughs> you just happen to be talking to him right now because we have 10 minutes left. I'm going to have somebody distract him, and then I'm going to go through his shoes and see if he's hiding anything. In the shoes? Yeah. While well, he's That's wearing what bakers do. They hide things in their shoes. Okay. I don't think they I think this is integral yeah. to the plot. Obviously. I'm all for it. What do you want me to do to distract them? We're three and a half hours in. I need to get into those shoes now. I need to ask your character a very important (laughs) question. Do they have a foot fetish? Oh, gross. No, I mean, (laughs) no. (laughs) Freudian truth for you right there. Insight check. Roll for kink. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't roll. It's bad. Um, So... Let's talk about failure. Uh, what happened was recently, I <laughs> Jim Pinto. Uh, if you if you happen to follow Jim on social media at all, on, he's on Facebook, he's on Twitter. He's talk, been talking a lot more on Twitter lately. If you happen to follow him at all, he is uh, not shy about venting his opinions about everything. And he has a lot of opinions based, admittedly, obviously, on a lot of experience regarding the design and structure of games and how you know how they work and how they play at the table and how people deal with them and what people seem to get and what people don't and, and a lot of other very critical things. But one of the things he brought up recently, and this was exacerbated a couple of days later by a play test he ran where he made a comment about it to me. Um, one of the things that happened recently that I thought was really, uh, what they talked about recently that I thought was really interesting was that systems that magnify failure as a general prospect in any given time, any given action, for example, in your action economy, do a little bit to steal from the fun every time they do it. Because it isn't necessarily fun getting your chance to act, utterly flubbing it, nothing happens, move on to the next person. Especially if that happens two, three rounds in a row. You know? Especially. Yeah. And sometimes, especially, we're, we're D&D players, sometimes that fucking happens. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I roll a one, That's a three, and a four. dice jails. Or my name is Nira. I mean, you just, you constantly have no... <laughs> I know. What's that? I said that was one of our other players last night. I think we went three rounds where she didn't hit a single thing. Yeah. Every roll was like a two, a three, a seven, a four. So, right. So then I started that. Now, with Jim, a lot of times when he brings this stuff up, it's because I know from his perspective, he has developed rule sets, games, whole games, that mitigate this problem in some way or, or, or focus on something else. So that isn't the question. It isn't an issue. That isn't what the game's about, so it isn't necessarily where the fun is. But... That doesn't necessarily address, I think, what most of us deal with in games like this when it matters to us, you know, or where 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 it hits us at home, I guess. And that's because we we already have our games that we play, or you know, we have our campaigns that we're involved in, and this is going on constantly, and and it's not going to change, right? I mean, the rules are standard as they are. So when you start looking at the lessons of again other game systems and start thinking um, outside that box. I was started. I was wanting to consider there are games that treat failure very differently than D and D. One of the reasons for that is because D and D is a pass fail system. Most of the time, you are making a roll to hit a number. You succeed, a thing happens. You fail, a thing doesn't. Occasionally, the failure can be fun too. There are situations that happen where the failure has dramatic consequences or has you know some sort of. Uh, 
element of interest in it, depending on how you treat it. And there are some players, and in my mind, most of the time, it's like kind of got to be there at the time in your head. There's some players who will make it fun anyway. You know, oh, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, yeah, Joe does this. Rich does this. I see it a lot. You, uh, you, you know, somebody um, rolls terribly and say, okay, well, I was just, I guess I was preoccupied by that thing. And I just, you know. But, you know, the funny thing is that that's cute until it happens like five rounds in a row, at which point now we can't escape the fact that your character is just fucking inept because they've spent so much time distracted and missing at that thing or stumbling over their foot over here or, you know, whatever it is you come up with to explain that it wasn't simply bad luck, which is what the die decided. Well, but I, I did I did have that run with my barbarian where he did that amazing parkour and just totally destroyed the one person on his way over. Mm-hmm. And then he rolls like a one. And I'm like, oh, uh, well, apparently the head is still attached to his great axe. Uh-huh. Um, and then he rolled several more bad rolls in the world. I cannot get this head off my axe. I'm never going to be able to hit anything until I get this axe balanced again. <laughs> it, was, it was, It's funny. And then that is, I mean, I think that that adds a lot. But it also kind of... Um, it distracts from the core problem in a way, you know. It's, it's like yeah. the the die roll steals the fun we at still that had moment. Fun, but it would have been nice to get through that adventure with less damage. Well, and that that feeling of ineptitude is is sometimes terrifying because you're building characters who are supposedly walking their shit into danger because they're capable of fucking handling it, and a handful of bad rolls, and your guy is sitting on death's door hoping to God somebody in the party still has a healing spell. Yeah. You know, and that's just not the same. That's not the same feeling as people that are grizzled adventurers or even newer adventurers who have all this promise and potential and skill, you know, that they've honed that is reflected in their bonuses and their proficiencies and the shit that's supposed to make them good. Unless you roll a seven every time. Right. So, I mean, pass-fail, right? Pass-fail system. There are games that focus on um, variations of the fail, like uh, success with a consequence. I was going to say, I've no, I've never played, but I was still a podcast that was in Powered by the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that one had, like, full success, partial success, and failure. Right. And uh, a lot of times those, when they do have failure, straight up failure, it's actually a pretty dismal result yeah. that gets you there. So most of the time you still have something. There were abilities in, I, I think it was 4th edition, I hate to ever lavish any praise on 4th edition, but there was uh, there were some powers, and because that's the way everything was framed in the game. Even your sword swing was just basically a power. <laughs> My power is strike with sword. Barbarian cast axe. Yeah, <laughs> effectively. But uh, the the there were some powers that were like encounter powers. They're like your you know what we have now, where you can you know only so many times for a short rest or whatever. But the uh, encounter powers were a lot of them were if you succeeded, you did some cool stuff. But if you failed, I may be remembering. I may misremember. Maybe in daily. So I don't want anybody to. I don't want any. I don't want any emails raking me over the coals for not remembering fourth edition rules. I don't care. But there was a success, and then you got your rolls for it and everything. But if there's a failure, it did this thing. It's like, oh, you know, you if you succeeded, you did 3d6 damage. If you failed, you still did three dead, three points of damage. You know, things like that. Um, a lot of the, I mean, of course, they also dealt with a lot of stuff where cooler powers gave you things like you did this thing here, and then you got this other side bonus with it. Often like giving another PC a boost of some sort or something. Things like that. And even in D&D, a lot of... There's a lot of spells that are, oh, you know, you're either doing full or half damage, but that's only on really on spells. I'd like to talk about that too, but um, maybe a different show. 
I, <laughs> I have some opinions about it. But and I get, it always gets me in trouble when I say that. So I got some ideas. I got some, and then people go, oh, hey, yeah, but I kind of like the way it is. <laughs> okay. I'm not telling you not to do it the way it is. I don't know. I think it full, makes full sense. You, you moved out of the way of the meteor. It only partially hit you. But you're a rogue, so you just ducked and it missed altogether. Sure. <laughs> Uh, I want, I, I kind of want to see something that gives you the ability to turn a failure into something, I think. What would you think of that? I mean, there's the, the, the whole possibility of like partial successes is one thing. I mean, you could easily create a subsystem if you wanted to, where people missed by like three points or something or less. You could give them a, how about we, you hit the number or we pretend you hit the number, you know, we, you hit the opponent or you, you succeeded the check or whatever, but something a little goes wrong too. You know, what would that be? Narrate that with me. Give me, let's, let's, let's come up with that together. I can see that working in Savage World, especially like, because you already have this pretty well set, like a four is a hit and an eight is a raise and 12 is a two raises. So I can see like kind of going down like, oh, you rolled a two. It's, it's really bad because you got half of what you were aiming for. Yeah. I got to tell you though, in Savage, I think a lot of, um, a lot of the thing I like about it in retrospect is that failure is not as common. Yeah. Outright. Uh, now it isn't, it's pretty common to successfully hit an opponent with your attacks and not actually do any damage because you have to beat their toughness or whatever right. to do it. And so, I mean, maybe there's something there, but, but it still feels like you kind of, I guess it's not a whole lot different feeling than if you like hit somebody. I did, I rolled a 19. I, I slammed this weapon into them and then rolled one point of damage. When you roll a crit and then you go to roll your damage and you roll a one, so it's like, oh, this happened with your spells a lot with Vinkara. And yeah, like, that has. I'm like, I crit. I'm going to double my die and I roll a one or a two. I'm like, ooh, I did five points on a crit. Fuck yeah. I don't know. It's so, um, a subsystem seems like a lot of extra baggage. I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent about that. I don't like, especially with a game like D&D, it doesn't need it, right? right? So, what I'm trying to do is find ways to. Not yeah, increase the fun crunch. of the game, but yeah, exactly. I'm not looking to increase the fun of the game. I'm looking to mitigate some of the places where it takes it away. And um, what about a, uh, what about, for example, a uh, currency system of some sort? Like, let's say that um, every time you missed on a thing, you got some sort of point. Like, you can make it a physical token or whatever. <laughs> like sandbagging? Like, well, and that would, that <laughs> might, <laughs> might be, but, but since you're rolling actual dice... You know, you can tell you can you can you can be sandbagging, but you're not doing it intentionally unless the, you're assuming that right, the right, rolling yeah. Is, yeah. But is that thing keeping track of your losses until you hit a certain point? Except in this point, you'd actually get basically vengeance, right? Some bad kind dice. of build up. It's a it's a punch card. Every tenth one is a guaranteed hit. <laughs> <laughs> near near definitely could use that. Yeah. You know, as silly as that sounds, even the fact that it actually has a value of screwing up on the roll still makes it better than right. nothing. Right. You know, and I'm not real sure. I mean, what about the, what about the, uh, maybe it's not just about the pass fail. Maybe it's about whether or not the fail is interesting. So should it be that, you know, a fail is a fail, but two or three in a row is something more? You know, well, you're just gumming up the works at this point, personage. You know, let's, um, Let's uh, roll something to see something if something happens. But then you get a lot of people that get down on you. It's like, yeah, gee, I don't even deserve a critical fail at this point, which isn't even a thing in the rules. Right. right. You know, I still now have this image of sitting around going, oh, I failed. Here, punch that. <laughs> yeah. And the DM's like, there we go. <laughs> a little angry dragon face. 
<laughs> so I've I've long had an opinion that one of the balancing main balancing factors of the game, the resource management element of the game, is kind of lame. And the reason I say that is because what balances the game is what your character is capable of, do, of doing compared to what the opponents are capable of doing when it comes down to straight up conflict. So all that resource management does is create a scenario that revolves around um, arithmetic. It, it revolves around this idea that you wear down, that you can't keep up doing what you're doing. And I've always felt like if if this is not unbalancing the one time I get to do this thing, why is it unbalancing if I get to do it more? You know, I kind of liked the encounter power system in a way that I was talking about because at least then you have to do that one cool thing every battle if you wanted to. Right. You know, which obviously it wouldn't be any less of a balance issue in the next battle. All it does is make you wonder if you should be saving it now to use it later. We talked about that in your la- the last session on Tuesday when we were talking about your, your Barbarian Rage. You only had a couple left. We know the bad guys in this part of the battle. And I, and I told you, I said, you were about to rage. And I'm like, uh, God, you're going against a few goblins. Do I tell him? And I wanted to say something like, make sure, because I didn't know what you had left. Make sure with your raging that you don't blow your wad if you're going to be dealing with the bad guys soon. And I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to be dealing with the bad guys soon. The big bad. So then Richard kind of hates me when he doesn't rage and um, <laughs> has a bad day, <laughs> which is kind of the way that went down. So uh, stuff like that, too, you kind of got to watch. So resource management, uh, I, I've always had, and I, I know I sound like I'm going kind of a field, but I'm just talking about systematic elements that I think are employed because that's the way the system is built, not because it's the best way to use the system. You know, I, I get that if you had the ability to cast, okay, I can cast a second level spell. I know one second level spell. If you had the ability to cast that spell all day, why would you ever cast anything else? Right. Assuming it was the key that unlocked every problem. You know, if it's a combat spell, for example, Example. It's better than any of my first level combat spells, you know. But if you had the ability to do it once or twice and then couldn't for the rest of the battle, but you could a little later, you know, why would that be an issue per se? It is an unbalancing. That's why you play a warlock. Take a short rest to <laughs> get those back. Eldritch yeah. Blast, Eldritch Blast, Eldritch Blast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about playing with some kind of rules of reality in the uh, game that you guys are in with me because you're like going through different worlds and stuff. I thought one of the things I could do was actually change up some rules, how the way they work, to reflect that change in reality. That's one of the things I thought of. When the guy gave you the the healing drop that gave you the equivalent of a, a long rest. Oh, your yeah. guys is really good tea. My shasty guy. Yeah. My my whole point there was to make sure that I got you guys back to full strength before you dealt with the stuff that you're heading to next. In a scenario where I didn't feel like you guys were going to take a lot of time resting right now. Yeah. And I didn't want you to feel like you could use your abilities without screwing things up, which is part of that, you know, resource management debacle, right? And I say they don't really have a t- time to rest in that scenario either because <laughs> there's a wedding to attend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You should know all about that. Yeah. It's, wasn't my idea. <laughs> so, um, so white or ivory? <laughs> Whatever they put up, something else just to try to delay it that much more. Eggshell. Oh, my apologies. Satin? Always. (laughs) So, not not my problem. I don't have the money for satin. Not my monkeys, not my zoo. Oh, no, it is, isn't it? God damn it, I keep forgetting. So, uh, yeah, that... that scenario is, is so complicated. I haven't wanted to bring it up and talk about it on the show until after we get through it because um, I want to see what happens. Yeah. I have no idea what you guys are going to do. <laughs> it's, it makes it, three of you. 
Madness ripe. and mayhem. <laughs> but uh, I, I wondered about that um, principle. And I know throwing up system, you know, the mechanical fixes isn't the only way to handle things. You know, what do we think of the pass-fail system? And is it the is it the best way to go because it's the way we have? Say, you know, you're, you're running D&D games. I th- I think if you're running D&D, it's kind of what we're stuck with because D&D already has so many rules that trying to tack on a whole new system on top of it would just bog. I mean, combat bogs down enough as it is. If you want and then trying to add a whole nother layer of complex on top, it's going to take four hours to get around the table to get back to you. So, yeah, you failed you something cool, but now you got 40 minutes to sit there and wait until you can do it again. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I would say that if you're going to do some sort of mechanical fix, it has to be something simple so that it doesn't bog down the rules. But I don't think True. it's going to necessarily make things take that much longer. I, I think I, I agree. I think anything, I, I guess I'm agreeing with both of you. I think anything <laughs> that you do should be accessible and easy yeah. so that it doesn't slow things down. Because that's, that's and I, I, I doubt I'm the only game master that obsesses about this. That is a thing that I focus on the most in combat scenarios in Dungeons and Dragons is not slowing shit down. Yeah. I've actually built a little, I haven't gotten to use it yet. I actually built a little macro bar in Roll20 because I couldn't find any way, if there was some way, if we use that um, D&D Beyond and that, that extension when I play online. At Beyond 20, is that what it's called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use that extension and so it'll, it'll print stuff over to the virtual tabletop. I would like a way when I hit an attack by an opponent to notate on that attack that it was attacking Richard's character. I want all of them to say Richard's character because I like picking on Richard. Well, yeah. No, oh, I, well, you should. I want I want a way to notate that so that when I look back over A, who's already attacked, and B, who that opponent is targeting, I have that information if I'm trying to run things fast. Now, it isn't usually going to be like that. People wouldn't think they need that kind of stuff because most people run a game with, like, say, maps or minis probably in most combats. And then it's all kind of obvious. Oh, that's the guy that attacked. Now, but even then, a lot of times, like in D&D Beyond, you tell it to, okay, they're going to attack six goblins. Well, I've got a mini board with six goblins. It when, it when it goes to assign them at the start of combat, it's going to call them goblins A through goblin F. Unless I've gone and thought ahead of time to go ahead and label the six goblins in that A through F, it's a little bit of crapshoot, and I've got to make the decisions I go. And sometimes I will. I'll go like clockwise, or I'll yeah. go, you know, whatever it is I'm going to do. But one of the things that that system doesn't handle well, for example, we've talked about this, I think, is that uh, when the situation changes in the middle of the battle, there's no easy way to implement that. Right. Like it's hard to add. It's hard enough when you have new people come in. Like I've had, we had this happen last week where we had people come in, in the middle of the battle because I'm still running one of my games online, uh, where we had people come into the battle and, uh, they, I needed to deal them into the initiative. In, in D, D&D Beyond, there's no way to do that without stopping. I mean, their, their combat thing is still an alpha, for Christ's sake. There's no way to stop it, no way to do it without stopping it and starting it again. So unless you want to remember the initiative numbers and go back and check where they were rolled and then input all that information again, the only other way to do it is to is to basically input custom entries, which it does allow you to do, but then you have to input information you need. Their initiative role, their uh, hit points, anything you want it to track as part of that, right? And then it adds them into the, into the routine. And that works fine. But let's say I've got four goblins, the party's fighting them, they kill two of them, three more goblins show up. And that shit happens a lot yeah. in D&D. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Reinforcements are a thing, right? It should. It the, should, at least. The battle draws attention from nearby rooms and shit. So here you go. You got new opponents that are adding it, and they're the same kind of opponents. And you're going to end up having to go through and create separate entries, but 
The advantage of using the monster stat blocks that are already there are that they have all the information there. And when you use an extension, the extension, you even have the rolling commands. You know, their attack rolls and shit are all right there. So having to do custom entries that may not have that information on them, you know, that's one bad, that's one example that's complicated. What if it's three hobgoblins that join the fight? You didn't have them up to the first place. Right. So the best thing you could do at that point is enter them manually into initiative slots and then open the hobgoblin page somewhere from the monster manual so that you can see the stats and hopefully hit the buttons to still, still roll. Anyway. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've, I'm like running an encounter on there and yeah, they're fighting five goblins and like, okay, you killed that one. And I'm just trying to clear out the map a little bit. So I go and delete that ma- mini, but that was the one I had clicked to put them on the initiative. So it deletes them from the initiative tracker. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. Oh my gosh. So it's not really, it's not really a huge thing. It's just like a, it's just kind of a nitpicky thing, but that's, that's what the tools that are made for us to make things faster. Right. And that's why I'm talking about it. It's because I use those tools at the table since I'm used to them now. I use Roll20, or uh, not Roll20, I use D&D Beyond at the table with you guys because the stats are right there, because I can set up the encounter there with the initiatives and all that stuff, just run it right there. I'm not necessarily using a VTT anymore, but it has a game log where it keeps track of rolls and shit. It does all there for me, or I can roll the dice in front of me on the table and notate the you know, results. It's all fine. But anything that slows shit down pisses me off, right. especially when it's operational like that. You know, a little operational thinking at this point might go a long ways. Uh, that's just a me thing. I don't want to create a subsystem that's going to slow things down. Right. But I would love to have an approach that allows us to make failure more engaging because I think we can all agree that failure is important. That's probably the other thing we should talk about. It's a risk reward. Yeah. It plays a role. If if it if everything worked every time, then there's no challenge. It's it is um, notable that in a lot of the video game mentality, it isn't about whether you succeed in anything; it's about how well you succeed at it. Right. So, which kind of is reminiscent of the Savage Worlds thing, right? You know, it's like I hit, I hit, I hit, I did no damage. But in uh, in that situation where everything all the time you succeeded, but the levels of success mattered, it's actually just another version of the pass fail right. system, right? Because the reason you could do that in a video game is because you give the enemies five, six hundred hit points and allow them to chunk through them at a you know, fifty, sixty hit points at a shot. And if you die, you respawn and you try it again. Another very good point. How many Phoenix Downs do you have? It's not unusual to run into situations in D and D though where people, like we've said, fail incessantly and get frustrated, get upset, become unhappy. People are invested in the story or the adventure or their character, their their talents. They're invested in their successes. It's not that they're not invested in their failures. It's that there's nothing to gain from this failure here. Sometimes there may be. Sometimes there may be something in the story to gain from failure in this dramatic situation. But when you're just fighting a group of goblins between point A and point C, and those failures just mean I keep missing the stupid goblin. I've been beating on goblins for years. Why the hell can't I hit this fucker? Oh, yeah, it's because I can't roll above a two. Right. And, you know, that's a real problem, especially with people. If you have situations that impose disadvantage every round, you know, you, you might have a lot of failure. I've never had that happen to me where I get so frustrated that a die gets launched across the room. I see. I can see how that would be a thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So is it about the failure, really, or is it about creating more opportunities for success when people are frustrated and failing? I don't think it's about success. I think it's about fun. But I think creating more opportunities for success will create fun. That's possible, yeah. So, like, say you have somebody who's been missing and they can only roll a two for three rounds in a row. What if one of those goblins, instead of just running into the room, 
tried to sneak into the room on all fours behind a rock, and that player possibly has a really good perception and sees them, and can take an op attack against them as they're crawling away from behind said rock at advantage because they're prone on the ground. Throwing them a bone. Yeah. In situation. It's situational, obviously, because it you is. have to be able to come up with ways that it would work in yeah. any given circumstance. But it's not impossible. No, it's not, and it's not bad. I think it's 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 a good. I mean, if you wanted to put together a toolbox of things that you, as a game master, can do to try to to mediate some of that, moderate some of that problem, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but like I said, I don't think that I don't necessarily think that erasing the failure, which you're not in that case. No. I thought that was a really good example. Is the answer either? So I don't. Want want to take that away from it anyway yeah but what if there is something that you can put in the player's hands that gives them a degree of success not to the level that they're wanting necessarily or not to the not in the direction they're wanting but i like that what if you know it's just like okay well you know you missed three rounds in a row what can i give you that will you know give you some other way that you can be advantage the only problem i have with that is some level though unless you are pretty good at obfuscating the fact in the heat of battle which isn't necessarily hard a lot of times as a game master it feels like uh just you're you know just giving them a pity throw yeah right you know it's it's like uh you suck so much that I just feel like I have to do something for you, so... If you take the three consecutive misses and turn it into the opponent getting tripped up in order to avoid your hits and falling prone. Okay. Another That's interesting a, example. I don't even know if you know you do this, but there's been times that you do a lot where when someone's missing, you're like, you know what, here, try this, and she'll t- throw in like one of her dice over... And let him. It's really just letting him re-roll. It's dice superstition. And but right. you're really just letting him re-roll to try again. But you're just giving him a free re-roll. Yeah. Giving him a free yeah. re-roll. But you're you're playing it off as a here. Try this die because that die is doing bad for you. Well, you'll often have players that'll do things like, um, and I'm not calling you out, Richard. Do things <laughs> like uh, roll a die. Oh, fuck, I meant to roll the other die. And and <laughs> and I'll say, well, what is, what what does that die say? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's same thing, you know, and, and again, mm-hmm. it's that, it's that I think it's maybe, maybe what we're dealing with or what I'm recognizing here or looking at is an unconscious pressure we already deal with right. as game masters. Oh, there definitely is yeah. because you never want somebody to be frustrated, especially for extended periods of time at the table because you're taking away the fun. Yeah. So it's an important issue to discuss. I think um, the, the other thing that I try to do, I'm trying to think back to deal with, you know, to mitigating the frustration, not necessarily mitigating the success. Yeah. No, the failure failure is important. That is definitely true. Doing things like engaging with role playing at that moment. Mm -hmm. So the point at which the person has missed for a couple rounds is the point at which the villain says something particularly mean or gets their, gets them riled up so that you get engagement out of the player. At a different level that isn't about the dice. And I've done that too. We had that happen last night where Kim kept missing, but then another player missed on a, uh, what was he throwing at them? It was some, it was Uh, Eldritch Eldritch Blast. Blast. He missed on one of his Eldritch Blasts. They were in a small stone room. So because she hadn't really gotten to do anything successfully, Mm -hmm. I had, he rolled a crit one. I had the two girls that were on the other side of the enemy roll deck saves uh-huh. and she was able to successfully jump out of the way of it. We made it a very role playing kind of moment and she was able to get some engagement. That and again, way. that adds a little fun, a little fun to the flavor, to a little flavor yeah. to failure. Mm-hmm. That That's pretty cool. But then I'm getting engagement out of three players, not just the one. The failure's fun. We can move on with life. 
I like it. I, I feel like there's something strong there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if there's, I may, maybe what we would agree on then there's that it doesn't need a systemized approach necessarily. I don't think it does. Yeah, I don't think, I think if the moment you make a set system, it becomes just another way of metagaming. Or cumbersome. That's a good point. Like like you when you said the word sandbagging, yeah. I immediately went back to bowling and realizing that the 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 accusation of sandbagging is about somebody going doing less than they're capable of doing to keep in that case it was to keep their average up, right? So that they would get yeah. those extra pins. Like, oh, so what you're talking about is people when you once you make it a system, there will always be people that will find ways to manipulate the system. And that will be the way that they do Oh, you're saying if I fail three times, my next is an auto crit. Well, I'm going to intentionally fail. And then on that auto crit, I'm going to do my most powerful spell. Before I get completely off that. Slash roll one D one. Before I get completely (laughs) off that, there's um, another approach that might be interesting too. Because D&D already has the inspiration system. The inspiration mechanic, as we know, is woefully underused in a lot of cases and is a little nebulous at best. There are specific inf- instructions, information in the book about how to use it and, and when to award it. But it also gives you a lot of leave to play with that system as much as you want to as a game master or to interpret it differently based on the circumstances, right? So I have seen people write up variants on the inspiration system, of course, where instead of doing a one, you know, a toggle on off thing, you know, you have points or something or where there's different things you can use it for that wouldn't normally be part of the game. Things that are class based or yeah, things like that. Uh, what's that? Um, Alicia has a deck of cards. I think they're actually made for Pathfinder. Do you it's know? called Bill Webb's Deck of Dirty Tricks. And I'll have to look it up. It's like 50 cards, and each one has a unique, hey, you get a sneak attack the next round. I, I got a card last night that was, hey, for one round, it was called the Age of Aquarius. You can't do any damage. They can't do any damage for one round. <laughs> So was it just like your character and an opponent or was it everyone in the oh. combat for one round? No damage is dealt. And how is that? Is there an in-game explanation for that or is it just it's up a for interpretation? Anomaly? Okay. Um, so I've given these cards out to them. They can hold on to them. They can trade them player to player. So like if they're not a magic user and they get a magic e card, they can trade somebody else for a card that's better for their character. Uh huh. Um, they can use them whenever. It doesn't cost anything. It's a free action. Reminiscent of the Savage Worlds. Yes, it's very reminiscent. Yeah, Yeah. I've got players like Joe who like to use them as soon as they get an opportunity, and then I have other players who like to hoard them for a rainy day. So how how do you determine when to give them out or how many to give out? Um, It's basically inspiration. So anytime somebody has a really good chunk of role-playing or a really good idea to solve a problem in game, I'll let them pick a card out of the deck. So one of the things that's interesting is in in Fate specifically, and I'm Mm -hmm. not sure there's a lot of other games have this exact mechanic fate has its fate point system which is reminiscent of like the bennies and stuff we've seen from other game systems but the specific way in which you gain fate points in the game and i have seen variations on this i guess the cypher system does it too they do it with what their experience point system but the specific way in which you get fate points is failure now in fate a lot of times that is shit goes really wrong for you you get a point or the gm gives you an opportunity to accept that shit's going really wrong for you in an unreasonable otherwise unreasonable way you know basically as if the gm is turning the tides of fate against you 
here's what you get as a reward. And because it's a currency, if you have a fate point, you can spend it to stop it from happening if you want. Things like that. So it makes a little bit of a negotiation out of it too, a barter system, if you will. So that's interesting. There's also uh, maybe something to be learned from failure in that regard. Maybe there are circumstances under which um, a failure could be, or enough failures, a string of failures could be turned into a, a card, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, you know, you have failed so much of this battle, you've learned a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> because failure is where we really learn, right, boys and girls? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, there's something to that, too, maybe. I don't know. The interesting thing that I like about the cards is even though they can trade and they can stack them up, the cards are all different. So it's, I think, 52 actually cards, and none of them are the same. Right. So it's literally luck of the draw what beneficial thing you're going to get from pulling a card. It could be social. It could be combat-related. It could be magic-oriented. You don't know. Because I've had ones on there. Uh, one of them is actually ask the GM a yes or no question, and they have to answer truthfully. Interesting. That could be... Uh Dangerous. It could. Yeah. But it's interesting. I I like that. I like the idea. Mm-hmm. I like the idea. I'm I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure where I fall on as a game master because I forget about inspiration so much. Yeah. And I I, I think what helps also with that is she has the physical deck of cards right there behind her DM screen, so right. they're they're staring at her to hand out. Yeah, I mean, we got those cards in Savage, but it's like they're a session mechanic, too. Yeah. You, you pass out a couple of cards at the beginning of the session to each person. They get to play one that game. They can trade them if they want to, but they get to play one that game, that session. So it's just a, but they also have very potent results. In them. Yeah. You know, some of them are very mechanically interesting and, and overcome some otherwise, you know, blatant rules limitations, you know, like the equivalent of getting all your spells back, you know, it's like, or... But others are very story-oriented or, you know, situational, like the one that somebody pulled in one game where they, like, oh, reinforcements just suddenly arrived, you know? And I was like, oh, shit, okay. Yeah, you know, I got to figure out where that came from, you know? I love that stuff. And I like it because it's also challenging for me to improvise it into the story. And it's fun because everybody knows everything is off the cuff. I like that kind of improv too. A lot of times I don't like improv as a planning tactic because I know I know GMs who do where you have a basic idea of what you're doing, but you're just going to kind of bluff your way through everything or make shit up as you go. And that's fine, particularly if you're good at it. I envy you if you're good at it. But those things, that what that means when you do that is this shit isn't planned. So what you come up with, people are going to read that as, oh, this isn't necessarily what would have happened. This is something that came up off the top of their head. So do I take that more or less seriously? Or is this, if they had planned something ahead, there would have been a more predictable consequence, you know, whatever. Predictability is boring, though. It is, but it is, it is, it is an important part of the system mechanics. And the reason I say that is because there was a time in D&D when the system was extraordinarily interpretive. They gave you basically broad strokes across the board. This is particularly in original Dungeons & Dragons, a lot still in first edition, where they gave you broad strokes about the way things worked across the board. In first edition, more of it, less of it was broad strokes and more of it was so many complicated rules that the DM had to decide what applied to their game and what didn't. But either way you looked at it, the game master interpreted and expressed a lot of it. And that's how it was played. But when third edition came out, um, uh, our, uh, my friend Kid called it a uh, a build system. And it's like, okay, so you have a character, and this is the the little module of stuff that goes with that character as a first level, whatever. And then as you as you add new things as they go up a level, they get things to tack on. They bolt on these things that make them more and more capable. You're taking your 17th feet, but you had to take these other four feet before you can take right. that one. So you're building to it, or yeah. it's a system mastery mattered a lot, but uh, which was also part of the problem. 
But one of the, the great things about that was that it illustrated how putting the system into extraordinarily transparent terms meant that the players could have confidence about what their characters could or couldn't do, could have confidence about their role in the story and the agenda that they, the agency, excuse me, that they had as players to be able to rely on how much their their decisions affected their characters' lives and their fate, you know, rather than just kind of hoping, <laughs> you know, this is more or less the way it works so that the DM interprets it. So this is where I fall on that. I feel like the mechanics should be predictable, but I don't want my storylines to be. Absolutely. I think we're in agreement there. Yeah. Yes, we are. In case you can't tell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my my storylines become so unpredictable that Jonica doesn't much like my game. But what I enjoy uh, Monday night. I'm glad you do. Yeah. Uh, if if in general <laughs> there everybody there are times didn't. where I'm like, God fucking damn it! But it's okay. Because yeah, it's part I, of the game. <laughs> I think it's because there's a lot of not knowing. She wants to know if there's clouds in the sky. A little bit. <laughs> and I, I forced her to kind of work through that a little bit. And she's not she's not listening to this. What am I thinking? She's just being late. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Call her all kinds of names. She doesn't listen. Especially right now. She's she's, she's worse than Richard. He, I mean, he at least listens when he's on. And when Jonica's on, apparently. Yeah, he listens to her. No, I <laughs> I think there's... Um, I think there's something there. I like. I want to see the cards. I want to take a look at that. Yeah, I can. So, I can let you see the cards on Monday when you guys come over. Yeah. And, Are we playing this Monday? Um, well, Jonica's in Colorado, oh, okay. so we do. It'll have so. to be online. I'm actually probably going to end up begging out of this week's games for the most part. It's all good. Monday and Tuesday anyway. Because the following Monday, the next time we see you, how's it's that? Going to be hard. I'll yeah. bring the cards. Well, if they're playing at our house, so you don't really have to bring the cards. Well, I said the next like, time we see them, which it. could happen you just anywhere. Bring it. Bring the cards. No, I love those cards, and they all have kitschy little uh, nerdy jokes on them. But right there is an example of where somebody created a subsystem, mm-hmm. and you went with it. It created another level of fun. It created a dynamic that gave the players more to invest in and engage with. It isn't about predictability at that point. It gives it them another resource. Yeah. yeah. And one that could be interpreted in different ways probably in a lot mm-hmm. of cases. Yeah. We did last night, too. Uh, I can't even remember the exact card that Kim got. But it was, uh, if you're hit with a melee attack, you can choose to have the damage not be dealt to you, but to the person who dealt it to you. Like reflect and the damage back kind of thing. I can't remember what the conversation we had was about why that card was particularly less helpful for her character, but I modified it slightly so that anytime that individual rolls a critical one against her, she gets to roll a percentile, and if she rolls above a certain amount, she gets to decide where the damage goes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I say, and there's a few of them that we have to kind of interpret because I'm pretty sure it was made for Pathfinder. So when putting in the fifth, there are some rules that are slightly different. I think if I were hard coding uh, something like that, I might take it for the fun of it one step further and create variables that depended somehow on the character's other choices. Like, let's say you made it class-based, where there's a thing that certain characters can do with the system because of their class, while other characters would have a different choice or something like that. Or make it background-dependent. <laughs> be even more fun because the backgrounds are often kind of fucked up and not always <laughs> consistent with the rest of the character, right. which is great. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, think, um, I think it's a cool idea, and I want to see it in action. I don't necessarily know. I mean, this isn't necessarily a bad time to explore it in the, in the games that I got. We got um, we got a lot of a lot of pretty liberal players as far as dealing with my bullshit. So I think that's all right. As you steal all my stuff again, <sighs> it happens. Took my color changing. Pain. Took all my gear. Now you took my magic. I gave you that shit in the first place. <laughs> right. <laughs> I put you in this world, and I can 
take you right back out. But then we end up in another world and it's just as bad. Yeah, we, we keep going from world to world, so that doesn't actually work so well. <laughs> I can I, show you I the put, world. I, I put you in this world and I did take you out <laughs> many times. Uh, anything you guys want to add? Any other ideas? Does that spark anything? No, that spark was a joy? lovely conversation. Yeah, so I don't know if we came to any really c- big conclusions, but we never do. Good no. This show is not you about know, conclusions. You know what would help with that? Assamtees.shop. Yes, it would. Yes, we every were. time there's a failure, right there. Yep. Just pass them some tea. Every time so, you miss, you have to order tea. I'm here's so sorry. This is your consult. Here, here's an idea. Consolation. Tea. Yeah. <laughs> here, here's an idea. Purchase gift certificates from Assam Teas and use those whenever people fail on yeah. a roll. Hand those out, and it makes them feel better about the failure. I love how we've just beaten him into the gift certificate. It gives them something to do. They're there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it gives them something to do next round while they're missing again. They can shop on their phone. You know? <laughs> they still have that card from you somewhere. Uh, that was from other Richard. Yeah, we had a our Richard from our home game before oh. we met he, you. He got a, like a box he had of business cards made. He had business cards made that just were blank and said, "They're there." Love it. And he would hand them out anytime somebody was whining. It was perfect. He also he did that in like we'd be playing and someone would miss a bunch of them. Like I keep missing and he'd just hand them a card. They're there. <laughs> well, I'm gonna let everybody get on with their evening. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me tonight. Yeah. Getting on the air and talking about it a little bit, trying to get back into the swing of things, do more regular shows. And this is uh this is a big boost to my confidence because this is two weeks in a row. Nice. And I'm sure I'm jinxing it there, but two weeks in a row. So we'll see you in a month. Three. Yeah, see how you are? God damn it, Joe. It's like you listen or something. Right. <laughs> Going to go ahead and get out of here. Once again, if you'd like to add to the conversation anyway, uh, feedback at prismaticsunami.com. I got it right that time. I have you noticed. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Uh, heading on out of here. Thank you for listening to episode number 253 of Meta I don't even have this shit. I don't have two cards or nothing, guys. I'm flying through this. Go you. Uh, Metagamers Anonymous, uh, thank you very much for hanging out with us. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. And I'm slowly losing my mind. You are. And it's not that slow. The window's